right? He's the guy that said, when I look into the Pope's eyes, I see God. Well, it's what he believes. He wasn't lying, right? Hey, he at least he told the truth. That's what he... He told the truth, though. That's what he believed, and he told you. I, I, I appreciate that more than all the other lies he told us. At least he told the truth about that one, that he believed the Pope was God. Right? A bonesman, that's right. He told the truth, though, didn't he? About that. Sees the Pope as God. Okay? Makes sense. That's why they all kiss his finger and go over there and, and on their world tour, what's the first stop they make almost? Rome. Why? they got to get their orders first. they got to get their blessing. Yep. Luke must be on the phone. Let me make sure I get this recorded for quality assurance. We have people at home today that are watching, so from church here. So let's make sure we get uh, get the stream put on right there for them. We'll take a few minutes to do that, but uh, looking forward to uh, preaching here this next week. And uh, we'll be out for a while. So uh, you pray for us. It's going to be 30 degrees, though, so we're thankful for that. Not going to be too too cold out there. And uh, so pray for us as we get out there and, and uh, preach. And Brother Ryan said he's got about 1,500 tracks printed up, so that's good. we get that video out, right? We'll see how it goes. It is a game, so you could get more out with that game. With that many people coming out of there, right? Uh, do they, how many fans, it'll be sold out, so how many fans fit in that arena? That's the one that we went to that had the Metallica concert? Okay, yeah. 70,000 fans. That's the same place that old, that That, yeah, that's the same place also that Billy, the Billy Graham Association with uh, oh, yeah. Nikki Hall. Hall was there. Remember that? Yeah. Nick Hall. Who remembers Nick Hall? Who was there for that? You were there. Who else was there with us? Do you remember? I don't think Paul was at that one, was he? No, that was in 2018. That was in 2018, yeah. They told us that... Um, yeah, come on backstage, they said. Why don't you just come back and meet Nikki Hall and I'll introduce you to him. Come on backstage. I'm like, nah. <laughs> like, I don't think so. I think I'll pass on that. Thanks for the invite, but no thanks. I don't think it'd be a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of no. Like, oh, where we were preaching across the street after the sodomite event, we went over there to the Taylor Swift concert. Yeah. To all the, we preached all those Swifties. That was spooky. And the gay guys that were there too with the Swiftie. They all looked the same. Yeah. The Taylor Swift concert? Yeah. 
Yeah, it was weird. Well, it wasn't that much different of a crowd, except they weren't so rabid as the, as the sodomites were. Like that one kid that tried to choke Paul out or whatever. That one. <laughs> Remember that kid? Knocks on the door. You rang. <laughs> he hits his kids. True story. You had to meet the guy. Maybe not. You know. He's seen us at that event, and I told him, I told those the guys at the at the when we were at the the event. Um, what was it? The the um, state fair. I said, we are not moving from that guy. I will stick that hailer right in his face and preach as loud as I can. I am not moving for that guy. He is not chasing any of our people out while we're handing out tracks. I think it was was it you I sent over there. I said, you get over there and you stand in front of that guy and you just. You just let it go, man. Don't, we're, we're not moving for that guy. That guy's moving for us. We ain't going nowhere. Chasing around those young, uh, those teenage boys handing out tracks and trying to, like, trying to, like, threaten them and everything and say stuff to them. Why don't you come over and threaten us? Yeah. I won't do anything to you. I'll just preach to you and look at you funny. Just stand right there. I ain't going. I ain't moving for you. Well, I'm going to turn you, turn me into whoever you want to. They already know me anyway. What do you think? It's a surprise? Right? We're not, we're not doing that. We're going to stand right there. We, we, you ain't chasing our kids off the corner right there, handing out gospel tracts. You're not going to do that, you little bully. Yeah. Yeah, chase us out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, go tell us to leave. We will take that hailer and blast it to as loud as we possibly can and stick it right out there. Drilling it. I tried to drill it in his ear. Did you get it? All good? We're live? Okay. All right, we're good. Amen. All right, so we are going to continue on with Martyrs Mirrors here. We, we haven't got to the, to the actual martyrs there. He, what he's discussing is the doctrine here, and I, thought, I think it's fascinating to, to listen to the arguments that they make. You have to under, the way Rome would have you believe uh, men like the Donatists were, uh, men like the Petrobrusians were, men like uh, the, pa, the Paulicians, uh, all those people, they, Rome would have you believe that they were just like some knuckle-dragging Neanderthals that didn't know the scriptures and, you know, they needed their Latin Vulgate and they needed everything from Rome to translate everything for them because they were just dumb. Well, that's, that's the furthest from the truth. They were actually educated believers in the, in the scriptures. They understood the, the scriptures. And they, that's why they, by the way, the, the, it's no great secret that the reason why people, that uh, people, uh, churches don't follow Rome is because they have the scriptures and they know the scriptures. Once you have and know the scriptures, you have no desire to follow Rome. You look at that and you're like, I, I couldn't follow that. That's just garbage. It's a lie. So I can't follow Roman Catholicism because of all the errors of it. You, you know that. But when, you're by, when, when, you're, when your religious teachings are given to you by a man that claims himself to be God and has a fascist system, 
that is controlling or he has a Marxist system on either end because Rome runs both systems. They run the fascists and they run the Marxists. They run both. It's the Hegelian dialectic. They run it on both sides. They run it through politics and they run it through religion. They run both sides. They have, they have people that are in control. They have controlled opposition on either side of that argument. But when you have the scriptures and you read the scriptures and you see what they say, you, you can't follow Rome, not with a good conscience. So what happens is people get angry with us, just like that man did, that, that gentleman. Uh, he wasn't really angry with me, but he was upset that, that he came over and talked to me in that video on Wednesday that we talked about. Uh, because I told him the truth and he couldn't, like he couldn't forget that. Once somebody hears the truth like that, they can't just like let it go. Either they have to war against it, they tor or they torture themselves with it, or they repent, right? Because you can't just forget about it. And that's what happens with this. These men knew the truth. They couldn't walk away from the truth. They, they, they were men of conviction, women of conviction, right? And they would not walk away from it. They held to it and for it, for not accepting infant baptism, which is the badge of Antichrist. If you ever, it's, it's the harlot church's badge. Uh, and if you see it, you, you can't have anything to do with it. You just are like, no, I'm not, I'm not having anything to do with that. Once you understand the Bible, I always think it's f funny that you have these, you have these Protestants that are these, these academic Protestants, and they go into their assemblies and their churches, which they are churches. They're just, in my opinion, they're not, and according to the scriptures, I believe how I've interpreted the scriptures rightly to divide the word of truth that is right there in front of me, that they are not scriptural churches. There's a difference. Because Paul, uh, Paul said, or the, the man that would, when Paul was on trial, he said, these men have not been, neither have they been robbers of churches. He wasn't talking about New Testament churches. He was talking about those assemblies that were called themselves churches, right, at those particular ones. So they're not, not every church is a New Testament church, a biblical New Testament church. Well, we believe if you don't have the ordinances, you're not a New Testament church. How could you be? There might, there might be saved people among you. Absolutely. Because the Bible says, come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers, right? So there are saved people that, that God, is, God calls out of all of those groups, right? He calls them out of those, tells them, get out of there. If you believe the gospel, you have to leave. That's what it comes down to, right? When these apostate churches, if I believe the gospel, I have to leave. I, my, my, I, I, can't, I can't stay there. But then that's the way it is with them. Uh, that's the way it is with these people. They said, you know what? We don't subscribe to infant baptism. We're not staying. We can't follow you. We can't, we can't follow you. We can't follow what you teach. We have to leave. So, but what always amazes me about these Protestant churches, they have all these academics, and even Calvin, Luther, and all those men admitted that baptism, scriptural baptism is by immersion. They all admit it in their writings, every single one of them. They also admit that they have no proof of infant baptism in the scriptures. They follow it out of tradition. They admit it in their writings. If you read their writings, they admit it. There's no in, there's, you, can, you won't find, you look all the way through here, this, these scriptures, and you will not find infant baptism practiced by Bible believers anywhere in this book. It's not there. By the way, the translators that translated this book Right? They knew it. 
And they were honest people because they were being led by the Lord, I believe. Right? Because God does what he wants. He uses who he wants to. And he used them. And they had to translate it honestly. They didn't lie. They said, oh, that's the word right there. There's the word, right? You can't lie. They couldn't lie about it. They told the truth. And that's what we have. But we have, we have the same thing today that, that, that you have these Protestants that are out there and they show up to churches. They show up there where they practice infant baptism. Knowing that there's nothing in the body, there's not one baby baptized ever in the scriptures at all, period. Not one. But they still practice it. Like, you know, and, but, they, but then they claim sola scriptura. The scriptures alone. And I look at them and I'm like, do you even know what that means? I know what I know what Baptists call it. They they, they believe that the, that the Bible is our sole authority, our our final authority, and our sole authority for faith and practice, right? It's our final authority. I don't know Latin, so when you start using, I think that's Latin, right? Jacob is that sola scriptura, right? I believe I I believe in scripturatura. <laughs> I just read the Bible that says it. I, I that's it. That's. I don't have any fancy Latin words for you. I just believe this is my final authority for faith and practice. This, this tells me everything that I need to know of what God wanted me to do and how he wanted me to practice it. And that's everything. And if that isn't for them, they shouldn't lie and say they believe in sola scriptura when they don't. Because they practice an ordinance that is from Rome. I, there's no way around that. You can't get around that. That's where it came from. But they practice it anyway. Well, you're going to hear about some more, some more men and women that would not practice it. And they were hated because of that. Very near the time of Ansbert, a place is in 938 AD. A place is accorded in this century to Smeragdus. What a name, right? Who having, it seems, at some time previous to his conversion, or at least to his enlightenment, maintained infant baptism, now gave such testimony concerning baptism as completely excludes infant baptism. Inasmuch as he, writing of the nature, virtue, practice, and benefit of baptism, very closely follows the language of Christ and his holy apostles. Why? We well, had the scriptures. So he reads it. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Verse number 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Are you a born-again Christian? If you are, did you gladly receive his word? Well, then you should be baptized. That's as simple as that, isn't it? Right? Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. I like that. They didn't waste no time, did they? If you believe the gospel, if you believe Jesus Christ saved your soul, if you're trusting, then you ought to be baptized. You ought to have a desire to follow the Lord. Amen. 
And look what else they did. And they could, in verse number uh, 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's what this guy just said. He said what they do, they follow, he followed the language of Christ and his holy apostles. That's what it means to be a disciple. If you're looking for a 12-step program, it's not there. The scriptures are there. The Lord's church is his program. You're discipled in the Lord's church. Right. That's where you're discipled. Why well, need discipled? Well, stick around and you'll get discipled. That's how it works. You watch the lives of his disciples here in this room. You hear the word of God preached. You submit yourself to the authority of the scriptures and you grow thereby. That's how you're discipled. So, well, maybe I need a class on it. Well, you're in one right now. Here you go. Right? That's how he, I, I don't, I don't do all that other stuff. Why? It's not necessary. Say, so how are you training preachers? Well, I'm training them right now. Right? Right? We train them when we take them on the streets. You train them at your house when you raise your children. The men, you, you train them, you teach them how to be men. That's how you train them. Wait, that's not, don't I get a doctorate and stuff? Well, if you want one, I'll have Paul print you up one. He, Cindy can print one up for you if you really want one that, that bad. We'll, right, Garrett? We can print you one up if it makes you feel better. You don't need it for anything. Amen. You have the Bible, you have the scriptures, you have the Lord's church. If somebody asked you, that's the same thing my uh, Pastor Johnson told me up in Rosemont when they were, when they were uh, ordaining me and sending me out. They said, well, what if somebody tells you, he said, what, do you, <laughs> so what if somebody tells you that, that, um, that you don't have a Bible degree? He said, what, uh, they asked that question, they were quizzing me, right? It was a good question they asked me. Of course, you know, two things. I, what I said first was, I said, I said, well, Jesus didn't have one. Amen. I thought that was a good enough answer. And, but Pastor Johnson goes, now listen, son, think about your answer. You know, he's like, tell me, think about your answer, what you're saying. And what he was getting at was, you're being sent out by the authority of a local New Testament church. That is God's way. So he wasn't saying I had a wrong answer. He goes, I want you to think about your answer thoroughly, though. Think about it thoroughly. And that's coming from a man that had been in the ministry for 50 years, right? He's saying, look, I want you to think about this, son. Think about it. You, where's your authority lie? You know, it's from the Word of God, and it's from the Lord's church. That, that's, what he, that's where he gave the authority to, right? So it's the church that sends out, not Bible college and anybody else. Why did he say that? Because he's a Baptist. He believed he was a Baptist. He's in heaven now, but he believed it. He said, that's your authority. The Word of God, right? God, sent, God sends through his church. This is what he said his church was to do. Lay hands on men and send them. When we start churches, guess what? This is the authority of the church right here. By the way, I rejoice in the fact that we don't use Bible colleges and degrees. I, I, I rejoice in it. I, I, I rejoice. Why? Because I know that God will bless his church doing it his way. He already has. I'm looking at it. So I already know he will. I, I, I don't think about, I wonder if, no, I don't wonder. I know. Amen. Why? Because he said it in his book and I have faith in his word. I believe what God said. And I don't believe what they say. I believe you're fully equipped by the scriptures and by the Lord's church to be used to do that work. That's where the equipping comes from. It's not from a Bible college. 
Amen. It's important to understand. This appears from his exposition of the institution of Christ respecting baptism. First, he writes, all nations were taught, then they were baptized with water. It is impossible for the body to receive the mystery of baptism aright if the soul has not previously accepted the truth of the faith, for they were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Again, this excellent ordinance of baptism commands the apostles first to teach all nations, then to incorporate them by the baptism of faith, and then after faith and baptism to teach them what they were to observe. He's just talking about the Great Commission. Don't get confused by their language, okay? He's not saying anything unscriptural there. He's telling you they got saved, they got taught, they got taught the scriptures, they came to a saving knowledge of Christ, and by faith they got baptized. Why? Because they believed God. That's what God said. They believed God. They were scripturally baptized. And then they were taught. Pretty simple, isn't it? You mean I don't need all these Jesuit universities and I don't need models after Jesuit universities? For churches to send people out and to do the work of the ministry? No, you should, you should most definitely abhor and hate those institutions. I don't hate education. I love it. That's why I study to show myself approved unto God. That's why we study the scriptures. That's why we, that's why we write on things. That's why we, we educate people. That's why we teach them about geocentricity because we love education. We love God's education. That's why we teach them all these things. We just don't believe in their institutions. That's right. They don't have a monopoly on education. Yeah. You get that, right? Like, it's not like, oh, education comes from college. When it comes, I'm speaking biblically here. I'm not saying I can train you to be a plumber, because I can't. <laughs> all right? I'm not talking about training you to be an electrician. I can't do that, all right? I definitely can't do that. Right? But what I'm saying is, is that for the Lord's church, for the Lord's work, I don't need to, we don't go follow the world's model. You don't train a, 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 a pastor through Bible college. You train him in the church, right? Well, just like you wouldn't send a, somebody that was going to train to be an electrician, you wouldn't send them to Harvard. Right, Paul? Even though Paul got married by a pastor from Harvard. It's the only one in this room, by the way, that has. Right? <laughs> But we, that's right. You have the pedigree. I mean, you don't get any more Protestant than, right? But you, churches train, churches start churches. That's how it works, right? Very simple, Matthew chapter 28, that's all he's doing. Thus saith the writer, says the writer, who has recorded this, the light of the truth must shine forth in the midst of darkness. For where did Christ institute another ordinance of baptism for infants? Good question. Though this passage is very acceptable and worthy of being considered and confirms in no small measure the point we have in view, we will nevertheless let the writer keep it to himself, it being only a comment on the aforementioned matter. We will therefore return to the matter itself, namely the words of Smera Agadus. What a name. I need a cool name like that. Like Smackus. That's a, that's a name that just kind of flows off. Smackus! Right? That's good. 
Here we go. And we shall soon find what his aim was, to connect faith with baptism, yea, to admit no other baptism than that which is accompanied with the true truth of the faith. Remember, the goal of Martyr's Mirrors is to show the history of baptized believers versus the heresies, damnable heresies, of infant baptism. Do you understand that? So what they do is, by doing this, they tell the true history of baptized believers all the way through, and they reject that of Rome's. And if you do that, you have to reject the, that, that baptized believers started with the Protestant Reformation. Why do you think none of, why do you think none of those Protestants use this book? Yep. <laughs> why do you think Catholics and Protestants don't like Martyrs' Mirrors? They think they don't, they don't touch that. They like Fox's Book of Martyrs. Old John Fox, the friend of the King of England, right? They don't like Martyr's Mirrors. Why? Well, it tells the story that John Fox doesn't tell you. It's like Isaac Backus's uh, history of the Baptist, baptized believers in New England. Why did he tell that? Well, because Cotton Mather left them all out. He, le he left the history of all the baptized believers out. He conveniently left that out. Oh, where were them guys? Oh, there were some crazy Anabaptists running around there somewhere. <laughs> little heretics over there dipping people everywhere they go. Ramming text down people's throats. Right? We leave that history out. So what, what happened? Oh, Isaac Backus wrote the history. Then he's like, well, if you're not going to write it, I'll write it. If you're not going to tell the truth, I'll tell the truth. That's what happened. Amen. I like Baptist history. I do. I really do. It, it tells the history of the Lord's churches. It tells the history of the, that, that, that I like it because it proves, these, this man proves, uh, the scriptures prove the right mode of baptism. Don't misunderstand me. But the history of people that followed that, like they followed the Bible. They, they, they followed the scriptures. They didn't baptize their babies. Well, how come them fellers didn't baptize their babies? Because they had the scriptures and they read them, and they were saved, and they said, we're not doing that. And plus, it's stupid. I'm sorry. If you want to quote me on one thing, infant baptism is stupid. Like, it has to be the stupid invention of a man, because it is literally the dumbest thing I have. Uh, it is the dumbest thing that a church would do, ever do, which real churches don't, to do that. It's dumb. It makes no sense. Why would you do it? It has no value. Why would you do it? It means nothing. It has a worse effect because it's rebellion to God. Because the order, it's witchcraft. Do you understand that? I believe that. You really believe in, yeah, it's backwards. It's in direct rebellion to what the Lord said. They that gladly received his word were baptized. If you brought me Silas right now and I, I showed him, Silas, are you ready to gladly receive his word? Well, you're all laughing at me. No, you know who you should be laughing at, though? You should be laughing at those people that take their baby in there to do that when you have the plain scriptures right here. You should be laughing at those priests with their gay robes that run around and do it. Because yep. it's foolish. It's just as foolish as taking, taking the, the wine and the cracker that they use and ramming it down. Si Silas can't eat any food right now. All he does is nurse. But you take that cracker and you ram He can't chew that. He can't swallow that. He can't. He'll choke on it. Yeah. 
Why? Well, that's not God's way. Right, it is. It's not biblical. It's nonsense. It's witchcraft. That's what it is. It deceives men. What did the Bible say? Rebellion is as what? So what do they do? In the name of Christ, they rebel. It's witchcraft. That's what it is. It's very simple. And, and then you ask the question, who hath bewitched you? Right. That's right. Hey, my, parent, my, my parents had me baptized in the, well, not baptized. They had me sprinkled in a Catholic church. I even had the white robe. I'll bring you a picture sometime. You were baptized too? Paul, were you too? Not baptized, but you were sprinkled. That was before your, your parents got saved. Mine too, yeah. Actually, my dad was saved. He was, but my mom wasn't. That's right after that he left the Catholic Church. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. Yeah, he did, yeah. So I didn't have anything, yeah. Man, I didn't even get a stupid t-shirt for that. I did get that ugly white robe thing, though, but it looked kind of weird. I'll show you sometime. Mm -hmm. it's, it's putting salvation in the hand of a man. It's damnable. It's very damnable. Yes, it is. That's right. That's exactly what it is. For what else does he intend to say with these words? For it is impossible for the body to receive the mystery of baptism aright if the soul has not previously accepted the truth of the faith. May we not firmly conclude from this that this man knew nothing of infant baptism, or at least that he, when he wrote this, utterly denied and rejected it. Certainly no one could oppose or reject infant baptism more flatly and plainly, for if it is impossible, as he says, to receive baptism aright without having previously accepted the truth of the faith, he establishes that it is impossible to baptize infants aright, seeing they, because of their disqualification regard to power as well as knowledge, cannot previously accept the truth of the faith, unless some would say that he held that there is a certain faith or germ of faith, as others call it, in infants from their birth, as was afterward advanced by the Lutherans, who which some were wont to assert they ought to be baptized. But this is easily refuted. For besides this, that in the time of Smaragdus, as far as can be seen, they knew nothing of this hidden faith or germ of faith in infants, much less baptize them upon it. He plainly indicates that he's speaking of another faith, which he, which he calls the truth of the faith, that is, a true and genuine faith, which true and genuine faith no one ever, to our knowledge, not even to the present day, claim for infants in order to establish infant baptism upon it. He's saying there's, there's no way you can establish that. The Lutherans invented something. Well, you got to invent, when you leave this book, you got to invent all kinds of crazy things to make it work. What they do, they left simplicity that's in Christ. They said, well, we think, we think uh, Esther has a germ of faith in her. Garrett's like, I think she got some germs all right. I don't think it has nothing to do with faith, though. Right? No offense, faith. Not you, but <laughs> meant the other kind of faith. Right? Nothing, right? They have a germ of... Jacob, you think your daughter... They have a germ of faith in them. 
They got germs. We've seen them. Kids eat their boogers. They got lots of germs. But you know what? That, that doesn't have anything to do with faith, does it? It's not. It's not biblical faith. It's nonsense. It's garbage. But this is their ideological arguments that these people make. Why is this so relevant? Well, you live in a state right now that is completely Catholic and Lutheran almost. These are the same arguments these people have. That's right. So Baptist history will help to educate you as well on the, against their arguments. That's right. Because these people faced all of them. Only they faced them at the end of a sword. You only have to face them right. like grandma getting mad outside of the, the Lutheran church that, she's, that they're going inside to twerk with little kids there. Right. Don't you ever stop. Don't you ever breathe. I have gills. <laughs> Just kidding. She got upset about that. One preacher got upset with me. He says, you, he should have let her talk. Why? I didn't need converted. You shouldn't be so hard on twerking grandmas that go inside and take little kids in there to be defiled. What's wrong with you? I don't know. Moreover, Smergidus required of the candidates for baptism not only the truth of the faith, but also regeneration, as appears from his comments on John 3. He says that they, they, they should be regenerated. They must, you can't be baptized unless you've been born again. Now, some people do get baptized and they're not born again. They go through the ordinance. They go through it, but they're not scripturally baptized. See, people say that about, they say, well, well, you're saying that the local church only position, you know, that you don't believe in invisible universal church, but there's some people in there that aren't. Yeah, I know, but God doesn't add them just because we add them. God looks down and knows who's a part, right? He knows. It's God that judges that. Well, we, he knows the truth about all of that, right? It's a, all that is from God's view. What God said, that, that's, that's my argument to them is this, is that it's God that does that, not, not us. If they aren't saved, then they aren't added just because they're here. Or just because they, they were scripturally, just because they went through an ordinance and followed a scriptural way to do that. If their heart was not changed, it doesn't matter. They just got wet. God hasn't added them to us. So you see, God sees all those things. It's God that's the discerner of that, not us. We don't have perfect discernment. Hey, the, the apostles baptized wizards, <laughs> sorcerers that never never repented, right? They just, they, they didn't listen. They went down there and they were like, hey, can I buy that power of the Holy Ghost thing from you? Look, Peter, you did some awesome stuff. Can I pay for that? Like that one guy that said, can I get a gig like that? Right? Well, no, they didn't. Right, that's what we have to do. We don't, we don't, we believe their testimony. They give it to us. Why? Because we're supposed to. If we don't have any reason not to, we're supposed to, until they prove it differently, right? But we don't, we don't reject people because, well, you know, we're perfect and we understand everything. We don't have perfect understanding. We obey the Lord. They that gladly received his word were then baptized, That's, and then we follow the Lord. We, we look at them, we examine them, we hear their testimony, and we baptize them. If they, if they weren't right about that, God will reveal that. We don't lose either way following the scriptures. Amen. They do by by having an unregenerated, an openly unregenerated church body. They have an open, unregenerated church body. They have lost people, openly professed lost people in their assemblies. 
that keep them in there and they let them make decisions for them. They, they, they're, they're not a regenerate. They don't believe, they're not Baptist. They don't believe in a regenerated church body. We do. We believe that's the only kind. Yes, they do. Yeah. Right. But you either all lost or all saved. You are halfway nothing. If you are halfway anything, you are going to hell. Amen. There is no in-between. There's saved or lost. There's two categories. That's it. There is no in-between. Saved or lost. That's the gospel. God makes it plain for you. He makes it easy. Praise the Lord. Thank God for it. He doesn't make it hard. The man makes it hard. Right? And also when he adds that such a one from a carnal mind is made spiritual, for how is it possible from a carnal man to become spiritual if one has not previously been carnal or lived after the flesh? Therefore, to become spiritual does not simply mean to receive the Spirit of God, but to live after the Spirit in the fear of God and in all the Christian virtues. He's talking about the works of the flesh versus the, 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 um, the fruit of the Spirit. He's saying that, you know, we believe this. See, there's evidence of salvation. And we take the evidence at face value. We have to. Right? That's all we can do. We're not God. We can't, we can't judge the hearts and minds of men. We can, only, we can only judge what they do, their actions, how they, how they respond to things, how they deal with things, what manner of life they live. We can't look at them any other way and judge their heart because we don't know it. It's the Word of God that does that. Biblical preaching will do those things. God will do those things through preaching, not through accusations of looking at people and you know, hyper-judging them on everything and thinking, well, you're not saved because of this. No, I don't do that. That's a dangerous thing to do. We see, we, that's right. Not ours. That's what I tell people. Like, God does a way better job of that. When you try to do that, you can hurt people. Good or bad in that way. You know what I mean? You can hurt them the wrong way or the, you know, in that sense. So it, it, it's dangerous. So he's just saying there's evidence to salvation. You believe the evidence. They walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Now, those are all maturing things. We all grow in there. We don't come to full maturity of the fruit of the Spirit when you're saved. The ability to come to maturity is given to you by the Holy Ghost. But you have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Right. You see what I mean? You have to work out that, those things. The, the ability to mature to that level is given to you by God. But a lot of that depends on your, your walk with God, your obedience to God. And that's what he's saying. Not saying anything different than that. This being so, we will leave the testimony of Samaritus and proceed to others of his contemporaries who held the same belief and left it to us in their writings. AD 952, it is stated that in this time the Emperor Otho the Great there lived and wrote in Greece a very virtuous and learned man called Theophylact, who, writing on various matters of faith, also makes mention of baptism, not differing herein as far as we have been able to ascertain from the Anabaptists of the present day, but agreeing with them very well on the subject of baptism upon faith. He says, as many of us has been baptized have put on Christ. These are the words of Paul in Galatians 3.27, which the apostle does not speak to infants, but to believing saints of the Galatian church, namely that they had indeed become children of God by faith, but had put on Christ by baptism. He's not, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The Apostle Paul is not talking, turn to Galatians chapter 3. He's not talking to lost people. He's not telling lost people to put on Christ. He's telling saved people to put on Christ. Wait, I thought I already put them on. Just because you're saved don't mean you put them on. You have the Holy Ghost and you're sealed under the day of redemption, but you got to walk with God. And I'll tell you what, people try to make excuses. Well, I'm saved. Well, good, live like it. Amen. Isn't that what he said? Good, live like it. Praise God. I'm glad you are. Now let's live like it. Let's walk like it. That's all he's saying. I mean, it's plain. I love it. I love it because so many people today, they water down this Christian life, right, so much that they don't expect people to live for God. They don't teach them to walk with God. They don't, pastors don't train and teach their people, walk with God and teach them what that means and putting on Christ and understanding that. They don't teach them that. They just go through their, 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 their Sunday school material and their other things and they, they think that that's going to be enough. No, you've got to teach the scriptures and teach people how to walk with God. They have to know how to walk with God, know what God expects from them and follow it. Amen? That's so important. So you think it's surprising. I'm a pastor. You think it surprises me when some people in the church, uh, they, you know, they struggle with different things? No, I'm a man. I struggle with different things. You, you, you think that, or, or somebody's not walking with God according in a certain way like they should, and that, that I think that they're not saved? No, I don't think they're not saved if they don't walk with God. I think they've got to learn to walk with God. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you know how to walk with God. You have to learn to walk with God. And it's learned over time. And you come to that in maturity. I've watched it. I've watched it in my own life. I've watched it in the lives of others. I've watched people that come here years ago and I see them and they're growing in grace and they're walking with God and they're learning in their marriages, in their homes and in their lives and in their, you know, you have to learn to walk with God. You come to maturity, right? We don't come mature. We come to maturity. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. You want to know why people stunt their growth? You, you, want to, you want to stunt your growth? Leave a biblical New Testament church and don't go to another one. You'll stunt your growth. How do I know that? Because Ephesians chapter 4 says the church is what God uses to mature you. That's why you got to hang on. You can't get discouraged and give up. You can't walk away. You can't turn your back. Right? You got to stick with it. You got to stay with it. Why? Because God is using it to mature you. I know it's uncomfortable though. I know it is. Because <coughs> we love our flesh. It's uncomfortable. Did you think it was going to be comfortable to deny your flesh? You thought that was going to be comfortable? Go without food for three days. Is that comfortable? No, that's very uncomfortable. Now think about this in the walk of the Spirit. When you deny your flesh, you walk in the Spirit, that's going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to be put in positions where I have to be kind to others, where I have to learn to be kind. I have to learn to, to, to treat one another. I have to learn that there are men that have differences with me, and, and you know there might be sharp differences in some of the scriptural points and everything, and we don't all agree on every, everything like that all the time, but we have to learn to love each other anyway. And show grace one to another. We're not talking about damnable heresies. We're talking about disagreements with things. We're not talking about wicked doctrines or living lasciviousness or anything like that. Just some differences that we have. Everybody's going to have them. You've got to learn to love each other. You, gotta, that, that's, you grow into that maturity. Amen. You grow into that. And it's uncomfortable sometimes to do that. Galatians, let's see, where was I? Galatians chapter 3. I lost my place now. All right. Let me see here. Oh, there it is. 27. 
For as many as, of you as have, put on, have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. He's talking about putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, walking in the Spirit. He says it another way, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You're not be given over to the lust of the flesh, right? He says it in another way, walk in the Spirit. In, in all those different ways, he's telling you the same exact thing. You have to learn to walk. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you and I walk in the Spirit all the time. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we just walk in our flesh. We don't want to deny ourselves. Right? But we have to, we have to go on unto maturity. We have to grow and be mature. Right? That takes time to grow, to mature. It doesn't happen overnight. And it's not going to be painless. It's called, you, know, you talk about growing pains, your children have these pains. It's like, well... Probably growing pains. Well, you got growing pains too. There's growing pains that you have as a Christian. You say, by the way, did you know that if you come to church and there's some things that, uh, with the preaching of God's word and different, and it makes you uncomfortable? Do you know that's not bad? That doesn't mean it's bad. I don't like it. It's not. I'm not comfortable, or I, or or you're not. Maybe you're not comfortable around around the saints. Sometimes you know you don't feel comfortable. Maybe you're anxious, or you have different things going on. You say, well, that's that must be bad. No, it's not bad for you to be uncomfortable. Right. It's bad for you not to be faithful. It isn't bad for you to be uncomfortable. By the way, when you read your Bible and pray, and sometimes you feel uncomfortable when you read your Bible. That's not bad. Why would that be bad? Oh, because it's not comfortable to your little fleshy-weshy? Well, I'm sorry, princess. It isn't always going to be. Amen. Sometimes it's going to hurt because it needs to. Because we're that carnal at times. We're that fleshly at times, and it has to hurt. And that's what he's saying here. See, I'm preaching this Baptist history, and I wasn't planning on doing that like that, but that's okay. I like what these men say. I, I like what they're talking. I, I like that. Because they, they're, they, back then, this is what? 1,100 years ago. <laughs> same thing. Saying the same thing, aren't they? These are the words of Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, which the apostle does not speak to infants, but to believing saints of the Galatian church, namely, that they had indeed become children of God by faith, but had put on Christ by baptism. They, they became a disciple. And now they got to follow him. You're not just saved to live any way you want to. You're saved to be Christ's disciple, to follow him. That's why you're saved. Continuing, he says, and he puts on our hand, namely, to us through baptism, have put on Christ the ring and the seal of Christianity, which works in us. Again, everyone that is baptized is also made a child of God, yea, readopted as such. He is also, when he is washed from sin and made a partaker of the fatted calf and has become the joy of the Father and his servants, the holy angels and men, even as one that has risen from the dead and who was lost and is found. Now, spiritually, that happens when you're born again. Baptism shows the world that you believe that, that you're following that, that you were cleansed of your unrighteousness and you want to walk in newness of life. That's why baptism is a picture of that. He's not saying it's the baptism that does that. He's saying the baptism is a picture of that. You have to believe first. Remember, he just said that. You have to be believers in Christ first. Baptism pictures those things. It's just it's a picture of what you did. I don't know that happened inside your heart, but when you stand up and you say, I want to follow Christ, that is your public profession of faith. Boom, you're baptized, right? That's 
That's what you're saying. I want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus did in my heart. That baptism, you're saying it with baptism. That's the ordinance that says that. That's what he's talking about. Here he compares the candidate to the prodigal son who, repenting of his evil life, arose to go to his father to seek grace and was received by him with outstretched arms. Thus he would say, it is also in baptism. The sinner seeks grace, confesses his sin, manifests sorrow for them, yea, prays and supplicates for forgiveness. God the Lord, who is the true father of all men by reason of creation. See, he's talking about creation now. He's not talking about the father of you. God is the father of creation, right? He made everybody in that sense, but he's not the father of all men spiritually. That's only by faith in Jesus Christ. You are the sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. But God is the father of all his creation in that sense, right? He did father it all, but not according to covenant, right? Not according to that promise of eternal life in Christ. That comes by regeneration when he gives you the Holy Spirit, when he saves your soul upon faith in Christ. Then you are a child of the living God. Amen. And you can walk in him and you can live in him. That's what he and, he, and he talks about pardons of past sins. And that's what the baptism, when it shows, when you go down into the water, that shows your death to all those things. Right? That's a death and burial. And then when you're raised up, you're raised up to walk in newness of life. You're raised up to show the resurrection of Christ. That's the beauty of baptism. It shows the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Amen. And by the way, they talk, you'll hear them talk heavily about repentance. Why? Because they didn't preach a gospel without repentance. They preach, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. They preach repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what these men believed. That's what these women believed. That's what they lived. They, they believe that. Hence, when Theophylact compares the candidate for baptism to the prodigal son in the manner shown above, it is evident enough, yea, as clear as midday, that he is treating of no other baptism than the baptism of adults. And this of such adults as manifest sorrow for their past sins. What does that mean? They don't have to come crying where they're weeping. What is that? You know, well, you, you, you have to cry. No, that's not what he's talking about. Sorrow for my past. What is godly sorrow worketh what? Repentance not to be repented of. It means that they, they come and they're like, yeah, I, I want to be baptized because I am sorry for the life I lived. I hated it. Now that I've been saved, I hate that life and I want to stand with Christ. I want to identify with Christ. I want to walk in newness of life. That's what that means. That's what he's saying there. That's what, that's what John the Baptist did. That's what, when Paul's dealing with the Philippian jailer, people say, well, he didn't say repent. He didn't have to. That guy already repented. He was in tears. He cried out, what must I do to be saved? Hey, if you ever have a guy walk up to you and he's in tears and he hears you preach and he says, what must I do to be saved? By all means say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But when you have a proud, arrogant man walk up to you and, he's, and, he's not, and he has no sorrow for his sin, he doesn't even care about his sin, he says, what do I have to do to go to heaven, man? And he's proud and he's arrogant and he's laughing and he's, he's drinking his booze and he's, and, he's, and, and, and he's living the dream and he's laughing about and he's mocking. Well, what do you do? You give him the law. See, that's already a humble man that's asking you, what must I do to be saved? But that's a correct scriptural response. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's what you give them. That's, there's nothing wrong with that response. It's a perfect one to give when somebody is humble. You know when somebody's humble when you're dealing with them and when they're arrogant and proud. 
Yeah. Yeah. Because he knew that guy, he knew that guy loved money. He's God. He knew his heart. He knew he loved money. It's like, it's God. Now, I don't know that about everybody, right? I know the law is a schoolmaster, right? So I preach it. I don't know what whatever ails them. I don't know what it is. Man, sometimes you'd be surprised. People walk up to you. You ain't said a word about homosexuality. They go, why does God hate gay, gay people? You didn't even say nothing about that. You're preaching on drunkenness. Somebody walks up and says that to you. Why? God's dealing with them about that sin. That's what he's saying. They, you manifest the sorrow for sin. What is baptism? They, they come and they say, I don't want to live like that anymore. Jesus saved me. I want to be baptized. I want to identify with the Lord. I want to, go, I want to be a part of his church. It's not that they're crying in tears when they walk up to you. Like, it doesn't mean that. Right. He was arrogant. He was proud. And what did he do? He gave him the law. He said, okay, we'll sell everything you've got then. He was always preaching to work something. No, he wasn't. He was telling them, really? Okay, here's the law. You kept all of it? Well, sell everything you have then. He was covetous. And follow, me. and follow me. That's what he said, right. What did he say? What did he prove that man was? Covetous. He loved money. Yeah, and he was a liar. He proves what? That he broke all the law. Because what did James say? If you've broken one, you've broken all. You're guilty of all. That's one thing I enjoy about listening to Ray Comfort do that stuff, that when he, he nails them on those things when he's talking to some of those people. And he shows them, well, you're a liar, you're a thief, you're a, steal, you, you know, you're a fornicator, you're, you don't, you're, you're guilty of it all. And all of us, if we're honest, we can say, oh, yeah, I'm guilty of all of it. Thank God for Jesus. So self-righteousness, you don't come to Christ with self-righteousness. You're going to dump that down or you're going to go to hell. That's how that works. You don't come to Christ and make it a deal and negotiate with Christ. You don't do that. That's what that guy did. Well, I did all this, Jesus. He tried to negotiate with Jesus, his salvation. Well, let's see here. Let's roll the dice here. I did all this. I did all that. Jesus looks at him and says, okay, well, sell everything you have. Take up your cross and follow me. And he wasn't willing to do it. Jesus even felt bad for him. He thought the man was a decent young man. Right? He really did. I mean, he, he, but he knew his heart because he knows every man's heart. He's the living word of God. I, obviously, we know this is the, you know, this. This is the word of God, right? But we, we understand that Jesus knows the heart. He's like that two-edged sword, piercing, dividing asunder. That's why they all hated him because he knew their hearts. Bible says he knew their hearts when he talked to them, and he knew their hearts, and he knew all men. So it says, I love it when it says, it says he knew all men. This book knows all men. Oh man, it's got their number. This book, when you pray, it's got their number. It's got all of our numbers. It's got everything right there. It's got us. You're going to get around it. It's got us, man. <laughs> that, that old preacher that preached today, I got, that I got saved the next day, but he preached that, that message and it convinced, man, God had my number. He, he just did. He had it. That sword went right where it needed to, right through the heart piercing and dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It was a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart went right through that. He's saying they have sorrow when they come to Christ. That's evidenced by their repentance. Do you understand what he means by that? So don't think that that just means, well, they walked around crying all the time. No, that's not what that means. It's godly sorrow worketh repentance not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. You can't manufacture sorrow in order to earn any favor with God. That's not what he's saying. 
He's saying they repented, they believed, and they proved it that they I'm sorry for my last life for, for my life before I was aren't you sorry for all those things? I mean, I don't live in like debilitating sorrow because I've been forgiven. But I still hate it. Don't you hate it? Don't you hate the liquor and the drugs and all the stuff that you did? So that's why. So when you go out, what do you do? You have a revenge against it. You preach against it. Don't you hate abortion and hate those things that you did and the things that you were a part of and all those things? So you preach against it. You war against it because you hate it. You absolutely you hate it. I, God's taught me the longer I've been to hate things like just hate it. Hate it worse. You got to hate it. God will make you hate sin. He works that in you. You'll hate it. The longer you're saved, you'll start to hate it even more. And especially your own. You'll hate it. You won't look at somebody else and just hate their sin. You'll hate your own sin. That you, that you fail and that you do those things. Amen. He compares, he compares that anyway. He says, Theophilic. On John 8 says, since Christ came to take away the sins of the world, we can obtain remission of sins in no other way. Right? Then means of baptism, he says, however, properly speaking, the blood of Christ is the effective cause of the remission and the takeaway of sins. He's saying blood before water. He's not saying that that water baptism saves you. Again, he's saying they get born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. They get forgiven of their sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then they, 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 they get water baptized. He's not saying what Rome says. He's not, he's not confusing the two. He's explaining you the, the, the true symbol. People have so made baptism so minimal today because Rome has bastardized it with infant baptism so much that scripturally, when you talk about baptism, people almost think you're a Campbellite. Why do they think that? Because, of, because they don't understand what the scriptures say about it. And it's been bastardized so bad by people that you just speak what the Bible says about it and people think, oh, you're putting too much of an emphasis on baptism. No, we're putting the same emphasis Christ did on it. And the apostles did. The right emphasis. We know it doesn't save anybody. It's a picture. It's an emblem. Right? It's obedience to the Lord. <clears throat> Yet it is impossible that he that has not believed be baptized. Hence, the unbeliever must afterwards die in his sins. For he has not put off the old man because he has not been baptized. So he's saying that they didn't believe they were saved. They said, I don't, I don't believe you're saved if you don't want to get baptized. Why don't you? You said you're a child of God. You said you were born again by the Spirit of God. You don't want to follow Christ? What's wrong with you? See what I mean? That's, these, it doesn't make any sense. They didn't like... You understand, these people died for, for identifying with Christ. So they would not have much sympathy for people that didn't like name the name of Christ but had no desire to follow him. They're like, well, we don't even believe you're Christians. You're going you know, to be with us. <laughs> They wouldn't hurt them or persecute them or anything like that, but they just said, you can't be with us. You don't want to identify with Christ. It was serious. It's a matter of life and death for them. Though several things are said here which confirm our preceding explanation of the words, we shall nevertheless notice only these words. It is impossible that he that has not, been, that has not believed be baptized aright. For here certainly every baptism which is not received with faith is denied. Hence, if a baptism cannot be admitted here, because it is without all faith. Yea, it is utterly denied here. And thus the words of Theophylact concerning baptism are not only clear, but also Christian-like and apostolic. 
He says here, he goes on to say on 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, even as silver exposed to the sun does itself emit rays because the sun shines upon it, so also we, when we are purified in baptism by the Holy Ghost and illuminated by his rays, emit a spiritual radiance perceived only in the soul and are changed into the same image by the Spirit of the Lord to our glory. And a little further on, all believers are illumined in baptism by the Holy Ghost that their soul shines or emits radiance thereby. Testimony. It's a public testimony that the Holy Ghost leads them to be baptized, and they have a testimony. It shows. It shines. How else does it shine unless you come up and you say, I want to identify with the Lord's church? It, it, it shows everybody. No, very few people were persecuted just for trusting Christ as Savior. You know when they get, you know in your Christian life, after you're saved, when you get, when the persecution starts? when you follow the Lord and believers' baptism. Why? Because you showed the whole world your public profession of faith in Christ Jesus. You, oh, it's on now, the war's on. Why? Because you announced it. It's an announcement. It shines. It's how, it's how you shine in a dark world. You show it. Oh, now I'm following Christ. There we go. Amen. All right. We'll stop right there. I'll mark this so I know where to stop. Amen. It's good teaching, though. It, good. It just it's it's just Christian. This is real Christian living. What we're put you on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? It's just talking about following Christ, being His disciple, obeying Him, identifying with the Lord. That's that's what He's talking about. Being named among the saints of God publicly right because you gotta understand back then it meant so much to them it does now to me too as well and to this church right but that, that we understand it means a lot to us why it's important to us because we watch because you're identifying with Christ and that in this world you're identifying the way Jesus said to do it all these people claim to be Christians what church were you baptized in? Who's your pastor? What church do you go to? Who do you follow? You know, in the faith, right? Do, you have the, do they have the scriptures? Do they follow the scriptures? Right? That's what we test whenever anybody comes here and wants to transfer here. Be part, we have, well, who, who was your pastor? What church did you go to? Who baptized you? What Bible do they use? Do they have the scriptures? We ask those questions. Why? They're important questions. Because we know what we believe here about those things. And we don't want to enter anyone else in that is not in agreement with us on those things. If they need time to learn and to grow, they can continue to attend the assembly and learn the Bible and learn the scriptures and learn about some things. And we'll try to mightily convince them with the scriptures. Amen? Like what Apollos did, he mightily convinced them with the scriptures. That's what we'll do, right? We'll give time and we'll disciple you that way and mightily convince you. If we can, right? But we won't enter in people that vehemently disagree with the scriptures on what we believe and hold to. We won't. Why? It would be wrong. They wouldn't be in agreement. It'd be fake. Amen. That's, that's what these people believed. So they, so they vehemently opposed infant baptism. They said, nope, we're not doing it. That was the witness there. And we're not even done yet. We'll, we'll get done maybe next week with that. No, not next week we have prayer. But uh, and uh, preaching. So we'll get to it the week after. Amen. That's okay. Father, thank you.
thank you for your church. And uh, Lord, thank you for believers' baptism, for the word of God, for the ordinances as they were delivered unto the saints that we have them. We thank you for it, Lord. Lord, we pray for uh, Barb Nelson. We pray for her, that you would just be with her and, and her heart. Um, and just uh, please uh, strengthen Brother Andrew and the family and help them uh, through this time and just strengthen her body and, and heal her and raise her up, Lord. And we thank you, Father, for all that you do for us. Bring us back safely here this Wednesday, Lord. Keep everybody safe as they travel. And uh, Lord, uh, we thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That history is the most despised history. Baptist history.